Today we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Hear these words now. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and his two brothers, James and John, and the two brothers, rather, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And this, my friends, is the word of God for us and for all of God's people. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have it to remember pivotal, event, pivotal events in Jesus' life, pivotal events in his ministry that hold lessons for us today. So minister to us, God. Be with us and teach us. May the words of my mouth May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my favorite movies, and have y'all noticed I tend to talk about movies and music a good bit? I, just, I, I, can, I have a way of connecting with, with those things. And one of the movies that I consider to be one of my favorites is The Wizard of Oz. I kid you not, I've probably seen this movie well over a hundred times. It doesn't help that right now Comcast has it available on demand for free. So I may or may not have watched it a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. But most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with The Wizard of Oz. Has anybody not seen it? Well, just in case somebody is here that hasn't seen it and you don't want to admit to it, or if you need a refresher, here's a very, very brief synopsis of the movie. A young girl from Kansas named Dorothy goes on an adventure in a fantasy land thanks to a tornado, kills a witch, outs a fake wizard, and goes back home the end. Of course, there's other things that happen in between all of that, but... But one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, and, and, and it's very symbolic too, if you ask me, Dorothy is still in the house after it's landed. You know, the, if you remember, the farmhouse was lifted up by the tornado and, and carried off into Oz. Well, it lands with a big thud and Dorothy's still in the house. And you notice that while she's still in the house, and, and everything up to this point has been in black and white. And so she slowly gets up and she starts, 
grabs her dog Toto and opens the door. And then that's when we notice that things are suddenly different here in Oz. And this is one of the coolest special effects I've ever seen. The inside of the house is still black and white, but everything outside is in color. This movie's nearly 100 years old, and to this day, that is one of the coolest special effects I've ever seen. And she starts stepping forward, and everything is different. Again, everything's in color. There's different types of um, buildings. There's, it's a di totally different place. People are different. And she's looking around, and suddenly she utters those iconic words. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. In a sense, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in that moment where we have to say, well, we're not in Kansas anymore. You notice the colors are different up here, and it's not just because of the, uh, the funeral that we had yesterday, and it wasn't because I decided just to leave everything like it is. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, so we would have had the white pyramids out anyway. But there's a reason for that, to indicate that a change has happened. Because for a long time during the season um, of Epiphany, except for the first couple of Sundays of Epiphany, we've been green, which symbolizes growth. And so here today, we've gone to white to symbolize that a change is coming. You may notice some different music over the next few weeks as well as we enter into the season of Lent. You're also going to notice that intentionally, and not that I say this a lot anyway in the course of my usual preaching, but the word Alleluia is going to be absent from my vocabulary for these weeks of Lent. Because tradition is during Lent, you don't say that. You don't say those words again until Easter Sunday. So even in the few occasions that I would say that word, I'm not going to say it during Lent. Wednesday, we do something different where we have Ash Wednesday. And of course, as you know, that begins the, the season of Lent. And let's also acknowledge the, the elephant in the room, or rather the absence in the room. In that sense, we're not in Kansas anymore as we mourn the loss of our beloved leader and, and friend. Both as Druid Hills United Methodist Church and as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're at a threshold moment. You know, there's one thing I'm sure you've noticed about the Christian calendar is that, you know, we can't go very long without stumbling from the threshold of one season to another because, you know, we have season of Epiphany, the season of Lent, Easter, and y'all know, all these different seasons that we observe. And in life, too, we seem to stumble over the thresholds of events from one phase in life to another. And again, this is a time where we go from that season of Epiphany into the, to the season of Lent. And, and it's amazing to me when these moments come how God can use these times to really get our attention and to remind us of who he is. And as we approach Lent, it's a perfect time to remind you that Lent is a great time for us to reflect on where we stand with God and where we stand with our discipleship. The loss of Joan is also a good time for us to reflect on where we are as a church. 
where we are as a church family, where we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. But regardless of which one of those we want to concentrate on in the moment, and I think it's good to do both in this, in this time, we do need to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with our assessment. And in terms of, of not being able to save ourselves from our sins, we do definitely have to be honest about the fact that we are helpless and fully relying on God. We have to be honest in our commitment to the path that rises before us and our utter inability to walk it on our own. Because again, we are helpless and we are fully relying on God. That kind of honesty is very rare. We don't like to be that honest. We don't like to admit that we're vulnerable. But it is important that we intentionally take that moment of honesty and take full advantage of it. A threshold represents a transition. Just like a threshold to a, to a, to a doorway represents the transition from the outside to the inside or maybe the transition from one room to another. And we take these kind of things for granted, but we do have to be intentional about where we're going. As we cross that threshold, are we going from the bedroom into the hallway and from the hallway into the living room? As we cross that threshold, we're, we're going from the outside to the inside or vice versa. Well, we don't really think about it, but it is a conscious decision about where we're going. When it comes to our discipleship, we have to ask ourselves those same questions too. When it comes to our, us as a church, we have to answer those same questions as well. Where do we go from here? How do we know where to go? Well, one thing the Transfiguration will teach us, and indeed many other events, but specifically today in terms of the, of the Transfiguration, God will let us know, but we have to listen. We have to be listening, but he will tell us. The old saying goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But my, how quickly things can change. You see the transfiguration, you, you notice there in verse 1 where it said six days later. Well, on the surface you might be going, well, six days after what? You see the transfiguration, this took place six days after Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah where Jesus has given Peter that pop quiz about who he is. And, and Peter is absolutely sure in his answer when he says in the Greek translation, Christos. Christos is the Greek rendering of the Jewish title for the Messiah. And that's where we get Christ from. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christos. And see, this is a big deal. Because a good, devout Jew like Peter would not use that term in a flippant way. Christos. He is absolutely sure of who he's talking to. And in using that word, he's not taking it lightly either. So then we get to the transfiguration. And it causes that same boy Peter, along with James and John, to wonder... What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? 
What in the world is all of this? What, what, what is going on here? Why is this happening and what does it mean? You know, once Peter made the confession of who Jesus is, Jesus could have been like a good teacher and, and given the star student the gold star for the day and said, well done, kid. You done good. You gave the right answer because that's exactly who I am. But notice that Jesus didn't do that. Instead, Jesus warned Peter just as that moment was coming to an end where Jesus confessed Christos. Jesus warned him that the times were coming very soon when things would be very challenging. And that yes, there would even be some suffering involved. Peter's reaction to that was, no Lord, that can't happen, it won't happen, may God forbid it. But of course we know the rest of the story. We know how the events unfolded very shortly after this, this scene took place leading up to what we observe as Good Friday and Easter morning. We, we know all of that. But right now we're on the mountaintop. And Peter and James and John are, you know, they think they're just going up to the mountain with Jesus to pray and maybe to hang out for a little bit and get away from the others. But suddenly this big event happens. There's no introduction, there's no prelude, there's no opening prayer. Boom, it happens. Next thing Peter and the sons of Zebedee knew, there's Jesus with two of the pillars of the Old Testament, two pillars of the Jewish faith, and by extension our own faith as Christians. Now can you imagine their, their reactions when they're seeing Jesus hanging out with Moses and with Elijah? I imagine it was, it was utter disbelief. Maybe their mouths were even hanging open and maybe they were wondering if this was all a dream. Maybe they wondered, maybe they tried to pinch themselves and make sure they were actually awake. Maybe they even wondered if Jesus had cast a spell on them or something. But of course, this was no dream. This was actually happening right in front of them. Jesus transformed from his human appearance to one of the divine. I imagine when, when they climbed the mountain that day that, that Jesus was wearing his, his everyday working man clothes, you know, the everyday average Jewish man out about Jerusalem, probably those kind of clothes that he would wear. But suddenly, almost like the angels had come for, as backstage dressers do in a, in a play where there's a wardrobe change very suddenly, just like that, his dull human clothes were replaced with vestments of divinity. And of course, this event was not for Jesus just to show off. This was an event to reveal who he was to the other three who were with him. See, Jesus, the twelve were kind of Jesus' inner circle. But these were kind of the inner sanctum of the circle, I guess you could say. They were the closest of his friends, and they needed to be the first to see Jesus. They needed to be the first to see the real Jesus in all of his glory. And I think even especially Peter needed to be the one to see him. Because Peter just could not wrap his head around everything that Jesus was going to have to do, that he was going to have to die, and that he would be resurrected. Peter wasn't having any thought of that. 
He wanted no part of a dead Jesus. But he had to know who Jesus was. But in this moment, and again revealing kind of his tendency to not get it right, to miss the forest for the trees, Peter all of a sudden becomes awestruck and he says, Boy, let's stay here. Let's, let's make camp. I'll even, I'll even build some tents. Tabernacles, if you will. But then as Peter is saying all of this, next thing you know, the big booming voice of God comes up and says, this is my son in whom I love and find joy in. Listen to him. No warning. No nothing. And they're afraid. Wondering where to go from here. So what's the meaning of all of this? Well, basically, this is the beginning of something new. This is a time of transition in Jesus' ministry. Just in case you don't know, a, a basic definition of transfiguration is a complete and utter change into something new. Once and for all, Jesus had been revealed as the Christ, as the Messiah, as Christos. And this was not a new state of being in, a sen in the sense of, of remaining where they were. This wasn't cement blocks being put around their feet. Instead, this was a train whistle saying it's time to move. And then when the voice of God spoke, it was almost a rebuke against Peter wanting to stay. Because I can't help but think that when the listen to him part was spoken, it was very emphatic. Listen to him. Listen to my son. And what Jesus says is it's time to get moving. But they were afraid. They found themselves frozen, unsure of what to do. Afraid that probably they were about to die themselves. But then Peter, or rather Jesus, goes up to Peter and to James and to John. And he touches them and they, they see him once again as Jesus and Elijah and, and Moses are gone by this point. And he assures them, it's okay. Get up. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm still the same Jesus that I was. Things are a little different now. But it's okay. Get up. In this moment, Jesus is all they see since the other two are gone. And that's important because what they did from that point forward, at least for the most part, and we see they still didn't always get it right, just like we don't always get it right. But they still kept their eyes on him. They came down off the mountain and they got to work. God's voice says, listen to him. Jesus says, come down from the mountain. Do not be afraid. 
and let's go to work. And that's what they did. But you know, we can all relate to, to the three that were with Jesus that day. We can all put ourselves in the shoes of Peter, James, and John. We want to stay on the mountaintop and maybe, maybe we find ourselves on the ground afraid because of what we've just heard or what we've just experienced. As if we have the cement shoes around our feet. So we want to stay on that mountain because we're scared to move. But that's the opportunity for Jesus to come up to us and put his arms around us and say, do not be afraid. I am with you. Reality, of course, is, and at the risk of stating the obvious, we don't have a choice but to move forward. We don't have a choice but to move on in our seasons and in our lives. It's good to reflect, as I was talking about earlier. It's good to reflect on who we are and who we are in the eyes of God and who we are as a church. But then the time comes where it's time to stop reflecting and it's time to start acting. Because quite simply, we have to do the work of discipleship. Life doesn't wait. The kingdom doesn't wait. And the loss of our friend, of Joan, gives us calls to think about what's next for us as a church. It's like I said yesterday. She was the glue. No doubt about that. But you know, I can still hear the voice of Joan. And maybe we could even ask ourselves, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong, WWJD, what would Joan do? And I can imagine her, if I were asking Joan and she was able to talk to us right now, if I said, Joan, what do we need to do now? And I can imagine her in her sarcastic yet loving way going, well, get busy. Keep working. There's still work to do. George Jones did a song some years back called Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes? And I can't help but anytime I hear that song, there will be a tear coming to my eye because he talks about all of these great country artists that have come and gone through the years. And of course, he's, he's gone now too. But, you know, he mentions several like Johnny Cash and Elvis and Conway Twitty. Who's going to fill their shoes? Who's going to stand that tall? Well, those are questions that we have to be able to answer here in our own context. Who's going to fill Joan's shoes? Who's going to fill Wiley's shoes? Who's going to fill Al's shoes? And on and on. We're at a transition. There's no doubt about that. Just as transfiguration is a transition from Jesus' ministry from one phase to another. 
Just as it is for us a transition from the season of Epiphany into the season of Lent, so now we're also at a transition in the time of our church. One that we didn't expect so soon, but nevertheless it's here. There's a song that was popular when I was in high school, and one of the lines in the songs goes, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Well, we're at a new beginning. And it's time to come down from the mountain. It's time to allow Jesus to comfort us and remind us that he is with us, for us to hear God's voice saying for us to listen to him. Listen and respond, for God is talking. Are we listening? I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.